Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, today we are back online. COVID cases continue to rise in Ontario. They were, I think, up over 400 the other day. And there's a couple in the town that we live, I think, as well. So we decided uh, it's probably just smarter to stay at home for the next couple of weeks. And, you know, hopefully the hopefully we can stop the spread again and, you know, cases can go back down. But we are back online, so... Um, Apologies if there's any technical difficulties. It's been way easier the past two weeks for me to edit this stuff, but that's all right. We'll get through it anyways. Um, We have a little bit of news to talk about this week, and then we're going to go and take a look at all the free agents, the biggest free agents on the market, and just kind of give a couple landing spots where we want to see them, where they might go, you know, if it's smart to sign them, um, all that kind of stuff. So um, we'll start off with a trade that at the time of recording may or may not actually go through. We're not entirely sure. Um, you know, early in the day, it was broken that, um, the Florida Panthers were trading Mike Matheson to the Pittsburgh Penguins in return for, uh, Patrick Hornquist. Um, then after, shortly after that, uh, it was called that the, the trade wasn't actually going through just yet because, the first report was that they couldn't get Pittsburgh couldn't get a hold of Hornquist to make sure that he was waiving his no move clause. And then there was also Friedman reported about the possibility of an insurance issue about, you know, how much of Hornquist's uh, contract is insured in case I'm assuming he gets injured down the road. But uh, your original reaction to a deal that sounds like it might be one for one. And if it is one for one, what does that mean for either team chase? Uh, Jim Rutherford's going nuts. That's kind of what I, I mean. So like for anyone who doesn't know uh, the pens save a bit of cap space for the next three years, because Mike Matheson makes, I believe it is $4.85 million uh, for six more years. And Hornquist makes, I believe it is 5.3 for three more years. So you double the amount of term to save 500 K or so over the next three seasons. Yeah, like, I'm all for the Penguins getting cheaper. If everybody is as cash-strapped as they seem to – or as everybody seems to suggest, like, you could probably find some values in free agency this year. But, like, the gap in value between Patrick Hornquist and Mike Matheson is so large that, like, saving 500 grand or whatever is absolutely not worth it. And that's even considering Patrick Hornquist had a bad age 33 season because Mike Matheson is that mediocre that I'd still way rather have Hornquist. His con- someone d- defined his contract and him as just the definition of a shoulder shrug, and that is the best possible definition I could give it. But the problem with the contract is the shoulder shrug that goes for six years. And he's only 26, but, like, yeah, he's just, like, literally the definition of an average to maybe very – like the average player pretty much just like a, a replacement level player. Like if you go onto his uh, wrap up charts over the past three years, he's slightly negative in uh, expected goals against and Corsi against and one standard deviation negative and expected goals for, and then slightly positive in goals four per 60 and Corsi four per 60. And then he's uh, you know, so it's like, and that's over a three year sample over this past year, he was literally, a little more positive in some of the spots, but almost a, a just dead even player. Like, Yeah, like he's the exact kind of player you don't give term to because he's just not worth locking. Like there's no need to lock yourself into Mike Matheson long term, even though he's a fine-ish defenseman. Yeah, like I think when the Panthers signed the contract, he was 24, and well, I think he might have been 23 because it might have been a year in advance. And everyone kind of looked at him and said, why are you giving him that much term? But, you know, for them, they were betting on uh, him just growing still, and he just never did, um, you know? So, like, I will say that Evolving Hockey's got Mike Matheson's uh, goals above replacement at 23 over the past four years, including five this one. So it's not like he's – like, he's not an active liability on the ice by any means, but I think he's, like, a number five defenseman kind of thing. Yeah, like if he's the second best player on your second pair or the best player on your third pair, you're like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, and I mean, like if you want to compare goals above replacement over the past four years, Patrick Hornquist has had 50 goals above replacement to the 23. Um, you know, over, yeah, exactly. the, over the last two years, it's still been 20 to 8.5. And again, that was with a 
Hornquist year this past year where he wasn't great, but he still managed more goals above replacement than Mike Matheson did. Yeah, when you're better in your down year than another player is at his norm, that's probably not a good one-for-one trade. No, and who knows? Maybe there is draft picks with it, but, you know, all that guy reported is a one-for-one right now. Um, and, you know, for for Pittsburgh, I just don't see why you want to take that on, especially because you look at their defense core and you don't need a Mike Matheson. Like, you have Latang Dumoulin, Marcus Peterson, Jack Johnson, uh, John Marino, and then uh, just a handful of guys. So it's like you have Chris Latang and Dumoulin for your t- and Patterson and Marino. That makes your top four, right? Yep. Jack Johnson is stuck. I don't think you're going to trade him away to anyone. I just don't see where you move Jack Johnson to. But then you have, you know, uh, Yuso Ricola uh, and Chad Rudweedle, just a whole bunch of guys that are like, find third pair defensemen where you don't need to trade for one who's six years of term left at almost $5 million. Yeah, exactly. Like there's one, if there's one team specifically that shouldn't pay $4.8 million for Mike Madison for six years as a left-handed defenseman, there are two and it's the Leafs and Pittsburgh. And yet Pittsburgh just acquired, like you already have Pedersen and Dumont on your right side or left side is good. Yeah, and I mean, like, Jack Johnson and Ricola, like, you have four left D on your roster right now. Yeah, and, like, he's better than Johnson, but like you said, Johnson isn't going anywhere. No, like, unless you can move him, and in which case, but even then, it's just, like, you still don't need him. Just find someone, like, if he would have made a third of the salary and two years less, I would have been like, hey, that's a fine enough pickup, I guess, like, Maybe you're selling on Hornquist the fact that, you know, he plays a tough game, so who knows if he'll actually bounce back to the old Patrick Hornquist that we've seen in the past couple years. But, like, it's just way too much money and term for a guy who's just not that good. Yeah, like, he's just so mediocre. I have no idea why anyone would want to lock a player of that quality in for six years at basically $5 million. Yeah, I I don't either. Um, You know, for Florida, I think this deal makes sense. Yeah, they get a better player. They get out from that contract a lot quicker. It gives them some forward depth, which they really don't have much of either. Yeah, it gives them a little bit. It depends what happens this offseason. Like, if they let both Dadanov and Hoffman walk, that forward depth, and Halla, that forward depth looks kind of weak then. Because right now, oh, yeah. like, all they have... Can still be bad. But. Yeah, like, all they have signed is Huberto Barkov, Brett Connolly, Frank Vitrano, Nolachari, and Colton Sivoir. So they really need some, you know, and like Hornquist, if you added them into the group they had, like if they managed to find, keep even like Dadanov and say Halla, Hornquist becomes what, your fifth or sixth best forward probably. And, you know, then you're looking all right. But I, I don't know if that'll be the case. But I, I like the trade from Florida. I think it makes way more sense from them than it does from Pittsburgh's side of view. Yeah, exactly. And it works well for them because, like you said, they have a ton of free agents. So they are presumably going to lose someone and they get to replace someone with another good forward. Like that's a good place to be in at very least. Yeah. And Hornquist has no actual salary uh, or no signing bonus. Sorry. It's just full actual base salary, 5.3 million. So he still has just under 16 million to be paid out through the rest of his contract. But I mean, over the course of three years, that's not bad even for a cash grab team like Florida. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a perfectly reasonable deal for him. I, if you started going more given his age, it would get a little dicey, but like, seems fine at what he's at. Yeah. And I mean, it's possible that he falls off a cliff in the next year or two, but like you're still out of $6 million in or $5 million, sorry, for six years in uh, Mike Matheson, who again is a number five defenseman. Yeah, exactly. And it, even if he does fall off, you can just like you can justify it from Florida the same way, um, like CC for Zaitsev, where you're like, look, the CC contract sucks, but it's one year. We get out of a six-year deal. Even if the Hornquest contract is just dead money because he's not playing mm-hmm. immediately, you're still getting out from a bad like just three years of a bad contract. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I think it makes enough sense. We'll see if the deal actually goes through or not, or if there's anything else added on to it. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh, figure out if you know like what would florida have to add to make this even a fair trade or like it for it to make sense that pittsburgh is doing this yeah if they're throwing in like 
a second and third round pick or something. And you're like, I guess the Pens wanted draft picks to replace the first they gave up or something. Yeah, but like, I guess, yeah. I, I, like I just, the, I, I don't the know. The Occam's razor here is that Jim Rutherford probably just thinks that Matheson is good. Yeah, I, I think that's probably, especially uh, um, given his past of evaluating players, that's probably what it is. Yeah, exactly. Like our prior is not that Jim Rutherford is good at evaluating defensemen, thanks to the Jack Johnson contract and yeah. everything he's said publicly about him since. Exactly. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I don't know. Like, it feels like if this is a one for one deal, it feels like Rutherford is literally trying to get fired at this point. Yeah. Like he's doing the whole make trade. He's like one of like one of the few GMs I've seen really just make a trade for the sake of making a trade, and he's done it like three times this off season. Yeah, like. Every your favorite team should be calling him constantly this summer. Apparently, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, so the, the NHL awards were last night, uh, and we have some, or not not last night. They were two nights ago, I guess, for the big one. So we'll go through a couple of the awards and just what we thought. Uh, um, you know, give our takes on on what it was. We did an actual uh, award episode i think a couple of months ago so we're not going to give we're not going to run through our full list of what we had but i mean once we go through them we can definitely just say you know what we had relative you know or what we thought was going to happen so um we'll we'll see uh so we'll go through uh we'll start with the biggest one i guess the heart trophy um goes to leon dreisaitl it uh, he beat out panarin and mckinnon as the other top two um you know connor mcdavid also got some votes i believe uh you look at it it was 91 first-place votes for Dreisaitl, 48 for McKinnon, 24 for Panarin, 3 for Pasternak, 1 for McDavid. McDavid got a bunch of third and fourth votes. Uh, I think we're both in agreement when we say that uh, Dreisaitl wouldn't have been our number one. Yeah, it looks like Twitter was finally having a big referendum on points because of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, there was a couple of mainstream media people because, uh, so I don't know if you, anyone saw it, but Dom Lashijan is a, a writer at The Athletic. Um, I think that's how you say his last name. It's something close to that. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a great uh, writer at The Athletic. You know, he focuses on stats and he's got a model as well. And he's got a vote and he left Dreisaitl off the top five of his heart ballot, which uh, absolutely set people off um, in terms of, uh, you know, just mainstream media and everything like that. But you know what? I honestly don't think it's that bad of a take. He's, he said pretty much he was like he had him at number six, but, uh, you know, he, he wrote up an article, and I can't remember off the top of my head who he had, but it was guys like McKinnon, Panarin. Uh, I think Hellebuck was in the top five there as well. So it's like he, he left off heart, uh, Drysaddle off his heart ballot, Couturier off his Selkie ballot, and um, Carlson off his Norris ballot and Carlson got second Couturier won and Dreisaitl got first. So um, there was a, there was a big referendum on whether how much points should be valued for that. And, you know, again, like I, I think you can make the argument for Dreisaitl anywhere from one to seven ish, but I probably would have been close, put him closer to four five, six or seven ish. Yeah, I would be, I'd be comfortable with him in that range. I do like, I believe he should not have won. Yeah, well, like, to me, there was five people left McKinnon off their heart ballot, and to me, that is way more of a uh, what-on-earth-is-going-on moment than leaving Dreisaitl off your ballot. Yeah, that's way more nuts. And, like, obviously, we've gotten away from goals-based analysis, which is mostly a good thing, but, like, the Oilers didn't even outscore their opponents at five-on-five with Dreisaitl on the ice. Like, that seems like a problem if you're the most valuable player in the league. Well, that's the thing. Like, um... A bolt like fifty percent of his points came on the power play, and like, like you got to be credited. I think stats people, like myself included, I said this the other night for a one-year sample, probably don't evaluate five-on-four play well enough um, in terms of like, because obviously it's not super predictor or not very helpful going forward. But we're not looking at going forward, right? This isn't the who's the best player going forward. It's the who is the best player this year. So I I, I do think that you know, maybe 5v4 for people who, you know, look at a lot of 5v5 stats aren't quite as, you know, aren't included as much as they maybe should be. But at the same time, like, he played with McDavid for half the year. He was on the power play at all times with McDavid. And even at 5v5 for half the year, he was with McDavid. So it's not like this whole thing about, like, 
oh, he drove his own line. It's like, well, yeah, his line kind of got on a shooting bender a little bit for like three weeks before the end of the season, but he didn't really drive his own line. Yeah, exactly. Like he, he got hot without McDavid for three weeks and that basically sealed the deal. But that doesn't mean much in the whole grand scheme of things. No, and like McDavid missed like a week or two um, due to injury and he had – he was good. He had a couple of kid um, – yeah, I think it was point per game during that period, and pretty much that sealed it. Everyone was like, oh, see, like, look at he's he's the, you know, carrying their team. Meanwhile, you got guys like Nathan McKinnon, uh, Rantanen missed half the year. Landeskog missed a third of the year. Kadri missed some time, I believe. And he just, like, he's just kept trucking along, like. Yeah, exactly, and Panarin's team was the Rangers. Yeah, I would say, yeah, like, I honestly, I think there was a good enough argument to give it to Artemi Panarin this year. Yeah, 100%. Any of Panarin, Hellebuck, or McKinnon, I think, would be way better votes than Dreisaitl. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, um, you know, and but again, people will look at points and just be like, well, McKinnon only had 93 points in 69 games. It's like, yeah, well, I, like, I don't really care. He's playing with inferior players. Yeah, like way inferior players. Like, I yeah, don't like, know how it's that crazy of a concept to some people that, like, there is like a lot of reporters outed themselves in this debate as not understanding that hockey is about scoring more goals than you allow, not scoring goals. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, yeah, it was like, oh, well, defense should mean something, but it shouldn't mean everything. It's like, well, it doesn't mean everything. But yeah, when you allow, like, when you're pretty much make yourself a net neutral at five on five, like, I don't like, again, that's where it's like, yeah, sure. We can give credit to the power play, but if you were dead, even at five on five, that just means your power play points are going to be less than someone else's five on five production at times, you know, like. Yeah, exactly. And like, you don't even, everybody keeps calling being like, Oh, RAPM, whatever you guys are just talking about made up numbers. But like he was literally outscored at five on five, like nothing suggests he was that good at five on five this year. No, not at all. And, like, it's just um, – but, they, you know, like, they ended up winning some games. They they were in a playoff spot when the season ended. So everyone looked at that and went, oh, yeah, it must be, you know, he must have been great. Yeah, which is, like, he was good. He was better than I think some people are giving him credit for. But, like, he was absolutely not the most valuable player in the entire league. No, I don't think so either. Uh, Calder goes to Kale McCarr. This one I had no issue with. Uh, unsurprisingly, Quinn Hughes was second. Um yeah, this then, seemed about right. Yeah, and then Dominic Kubalik was third. Uh, Adam Fox was fourth. I think Fox probably could have been closer to the top two than he actually got credit for. But Yeah, Fox just kind of seemed to get ignored. I don't know if it's because he's a year or two older, so he's just like not as much as a fun, shiny new toy or something. But, yeah, I don't know. I th- it was fine. They were yeah. the three to vote for, obviously. Yeah, I mean, Kubelik, it's not like Kubelik, like, I'm pretty sure he scored 25 goals or something this year, too. So it's not like... And he had 30. 30. Yeah, maybe. Like, he he was very good, too. Like, I have no problem with him being third. So I, that was one I, I did not have any issues with. Yeah, he had 30 goals, 16 assists, 46 points. So um, the other thing I want to talk about real quick on just, like, again, people are losing their minds that, uh, you know, uh, Dreisaitl was sixth on a ballot instead of top five or whatever. JT Miller got a fifth-place heart vote this year. Tristan Jari got a fifth place heart vote this year. Yeah, I what? saw that one. There yeah. are all, I love the random votes like that. Like Alex Ovechkin got a, a one fourth and a fifth this and three fifths this year. What? Like, I'm sorry, but what did Ovechkin do this year that deserved him a heart vote? Yeah, like, did that? Yeah, I have, I have no words. People are talking about how like Dom should have his ballot taken away, but if you thought JT Miller was one of the most, one of the five most valuable players in the league this year, you're the one who deserved to have your ballot taken oh, away. And we'll get to worse ones too. Like the Norris ones, there are some absolute head scratchers, but uh, there are some O's in there for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, the Calder, uh, McCarr had 116 first place votes, Hughes had 53, so the points went. 1,538, uh, and then 1,337, and then 554. Um, again, pretty much how we thought the uh, voting would break down, and I like it. Uh, a, a name in there that, uh, you know, one got one fifth-place vote, uh, 13th overall, Matt Roy from the LA Kings. I was kind of like, who is that? And then I went and looked at his numbers. He was really good this year. Like, really yeah, good he this was, year. Yeah, he was like a sneaky 
fancy stats god this year. I, I had never even heard of him. Yeah, me this. either. Oh. But he played like 1,100 minutes, and like he was very positive in all aspects of the game. Like he was, like in this Rapham chart, he is over a standard deviation positive in all five categories, which is great. Yeah, like if you're one standard deviation above average on offensively and defensively at five on five, that's a very effective hockey player. Yeah. So, that, I mean, like I, I literally had never even heard of him. And, you know, and then I went and looked and I was like, oh my God, like he probably should have got some more, um, some more credit than just a singular fifth place vote. But, you know, like I can't, I guess I can't blame people for not thinking of the uh, Los Angeles Kings as, you know, the, this year's Los Angeles Kings is just uh, outputters as good rookies. He's also 25 years old. So. Yeah. And it was a stacked rookie class. Like there are three rookie defensemen who were distinctly better than he was. Oh yeah. Like I don't, I'm not saying he should be like third or whatever, but like, yeah, they definitely could make an argument that he could have been probably like fifth or sixth or whatever. Yeah. Like he snuck him in at five or whatever. That's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Uh, Ted Lindsay, Leon Dreisaitl wins that. Uh, so that's the players that vote for it. Uh, a little bit surprising to me, not not shocking, but you know, like they usually vote. I think McDavid's won it two years in a row before this one. Um, and you know, the, the Ted Lindsay is usually one of the biggest differences between the heart where everyone uh, who's voting for the hearts, like, Oh, you need to, your team for whatever reason needs to make the playoffs to win the heart. Um, so you end up getting this fringe playoff team half the time where one, one guy just dragged their team to it. Whereas the Ted Lindsay, it's just the best player. And the players voted McDavid the past couple of years, I believe. Yeah, it seems like the media needs something to talk about, so they drum up this whole, like, oh, we can't give it to McDavid debate, and the players have kind of just been like, fuck it, Connor McDavid deserves it because he's the best. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, oh, sorry, Kucherov got it last year, and then McDavid had the two previous years, which makes sense. Yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. Um, yeah. Um, and then, so I, I say you can't really talk about that as the players vote, and, you know, that seems – it's not shocking, I guess, to me by any means, but uh, the no, best now people within hockey love points. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's just like, how much thought do you really think the players are going to give to this one? Like, you know, and as they have better things to do with their time. Absolutely. Um, the Vesna goes to Connor Hellebuck. Uh, right choice. Absolutely. Very rarely does this award go to the deserving player, but it did here. So that was yeah, cool. I know. Uh, I was uh, shocked, honestly, you know, the, Again, it's kind of like the same thing with the GMs is they'd probably like the writer should probably be voting on most of these awards as much as it pisses me off. But like the GMs don't have time to care about this, especially in a short and off season. Like they're not going to be putting hours into thought hours into thought about uh, which goalie they should pick for a relatively meaningless award for most of them. Yeah, exactly. Like they, you would hope your team's GM has something better to do as well. Yeah, exactly. So for this one, you know, it's, it's, understandable it, it's hilarious that they uh um do it but it, it's understandable enough i would say yeah that being said though gms should have a reasonably good idea of who's the best goalie at all times you would hope because it's just something you should know you would think but like i mean goaltending so wild from year to year too i guess if like i wasn't actively searching it out i probably wouldn't know off the top of my head but like i don't know like this year they actually got a relatively good list down, I thought. Yeah, like this this year has aligned with like goals saved above expected or whatever, way more than any other year in the past, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so nine goalies got votes. So it's Hellebuck one. Uh, he got 19 first place votes, nine second, one uh, third place vote. So there was two GMs that didn't vote for him, I guess. Um, Tukarask was two at 99 points, 10, 15, and four is how his voting went. So decent second Vasilevsky was a distant third he had a one first place vote three seconds and 17 third place votes uh which all all three of those seem relatively fair um and then Markstrom was fourth Mers Lurkins was fifth I don't know about that but also that's a singular second and a singular third place vote and then you had Robin Leonard at six and then tied for seventh all getting one third place vote was Bennington Jari and Kemper and the only one I think I have an issue with there is Bennington yeah, I completely agree. I'd probably flip one of like Bennington. Sorry, I'd flip one of um, Kemper and or uh, what's his name? Mers Larkins. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I don't so too. Know how to pronounce that, but yes. 
Yeah, like I, I think Kemper could have probably got top five. Leonard probably could have been even top five too. But I like, like it's shocking how rarely they usually get like. I think they have seven of the nine goalies correct here, and even the two that are on here, I don't think are the most outrageous things I've ever heard. I just wouldn't put them quite as high. Yeah, exactly. Which was good, and I don't think people really care a ton about the runners up for this award. Like it, it was just really cool that the guy who absolutely dragged his team by himself actually got the award. Yeah, because usually they just GMs just look at wins and go from there. But um, I don't think Connor Hellebuck led the league in wins this year. I can check, but uh, NHL goalie wins 2020. I doubt he was even close. They just weren't a good enough team. Like, yeah, they were just exactly. a bubble team, right? Like uh, He wasn't leaning. He was second, I guess. It was Vasilevsky first, Hellebuck second, Bennington uh, third, Frederick Anderson fourth. Marc-Andre Fleury, fifth, and then Carey Price, sixth. So, like, I mean, it makes sense. He played 58 games, which is the most out of any goalie. Carey Price played 58 as well, but so he was the most used. Yeah, and as he should have been because he was his entire team. Yes, and, yeah, Laurent Brossois had a bad year this year too, so. Yeah, when you have no backup and an elite starter, it's the classic Carey Price. Yeah. Um, the Norris, Roman Yossi wins it. I don't actually have an issue with this one either, I don't think. No, Yossi was really good this year. Uh, yeah. Like, happy he, was he wasn't Carlson. Yeah, I, so uh, John Carlson comes second. That's the one that I was worried about. I don't think he should have been top five, really. Like, I probably would have left him off my ballot as well. Um, you know, Dougie Hamilton didn't really play enough games, I want to say, to be top three or whatever, but he got some love at seventh place. He had a bunch of fifth place votes. Uh, I thought Alex Petrangelo probably deserved to be one slash two. Between, it was him and Yossi for me this year is the best two defensemen in the league. Yeah, it's too bad Hamilton got hurt because he looked like he was running away with it. But I could, yeah, Petrangelo, Yossi both seem like good choices. Yeah. Um, so I would say, uh, so th- there's some stupid voting here, but we run we run down the list. Uh, uh, Shea Theodore got uh, finished sixth. He had uh, 13 fifth place votes, which is shocking. I would not have expected the GMs or sorry voters to put Shea Theodore in sixth. Uh, but I no, think I would have. I think that's I very fair. Him on my ballot, but yeah, uh, but like I don't think any like I wasn't expecting too many people to have that at all. No, not at all. McAvoy or not McAvoy? Uh, Spurgeon got some votes too, right? Um. Yeah, he was. He got well. He got a singular fifth. McAvoy oh. did get a bunch of votes, though. He was in tenth. He had Mac- a third, a fourth, and sixth fifths as well. Um, Miro Heiskanen got a, a fourth and two fifths. Essa Lindell got a third place vote, and that is just not okay. That's one. That's one of those where they should have taken your uh, your votes away. Yes, and the guy, like even I, I forget who it was. It was some stupid beat reporter. And as soon as I saw his face, I knew that he, you know, of course it was him, right? Um, but Esselindel got a, a vote. Drew Doughty got a fifth place vote. Zdeno Chara got a fifth place vote. What on God's name were people watching this year? Where that goes through your head? I have no clue. All right, so let's check this now. If uh, Elsa Lindell got a third place vote, do you think he was even third on the Dallas Stars in war? I said it was arguable. I think he was probably, I said he's probably the third best defenseman, but I don't know if he was actually third in war. And if he is, it's a, it's by a long shot. Like the, the chasm between first and second would have to be huge. Humongous. All right, let's check. Dallas defenseman. First and second, we know who they're going to be. High school. Yeah. Oh, he was actually second. Oh, okay. Well, Klingberg, Klingberg fell this year, but still. That changes absolutely nothing. That says more about Klingberg, Klingberg's game than it did uh, Lindell's this year. Yeah, exactly. And it looks like his offense was negative, so Klingberg probably just got PDO'd. Yeah, like it, it, you look at it and, like, I don't know. He, he wasn't bad this year, but a third-place Norris vote? Give me a break. You know what? how people would bring up? Like, oh, Alex Barkov is underrated to try to sound smart for a little yeah. while. Elsa Lindell, as a good defenseman on the Dallas Stars, is to, like, I'm just dying to sound intelligent in this conversation. Yeah, like, okay. it's – well, even – like, last year you got that contract. Like, ooh, that is uh, – that's a lot of money. But, like, I, I don't know. It, it's same with, like, Drew Doughty. Drew Doughty was atrocious this year. 
And you're telling someone thought he was the fifth best defenseman in the league. I don't care if you think he was only bad because his team was bad, you know, again, which I think says something more about the player than it does. But even if that's the case, he was still bad this year because your, your argument starts with, Oh yeah, he was bad, but only because his surroundings were bad. Yeah. It's like, well, other people had bad surroundings and didn't suck. So that's okay. Yeah. Like, that's like, not a good reason to vote for him. Drew Doughty had 0.3 goals above replacement this year. Do you yeah, know it's not even like purely statistical. Jack Han or Han talked about it, how he, he did like a tape review or whatever, and he talked about how he just kind of looks disinterested. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to be interested in just going in smoked most nights anyways, but like... Like, I'm just looking at names that he was uh, in in line with here. 0.3 goals above replacement puts him at 164th, which on a defense when in 31 teams in the league. Um, what about like a 60? A 50, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, or 5.2, I guess. So, yeah, like 50 pretty much. So, you know, that's what uh, he was ranked in goals above replacement. The names around him here, Christian Yaros of the Ottawa Senators, who played 13 games. Noah Hannafin, huh, there's a familiar name, but also someone who's known to be kind of overrated. Eric Johnson, again, someone who's known to have fallen off a cliff. Yanni Hakanapa, Hakanapa? I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Played five games with Anaheim, had slightly less uh, goals above replacement. Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Van Riemsdyk sorry. Um, Cody, Cody Golubov, famously known for being bad in Ottawa slash Detroit. Darnell Nurse. Mark Barbario, Eric Goodbranson, Carl Alsner. That's the kind of names he was down. Cody Cece is at 177th, so, you know, 10 spots behind him. Like, and you gave the other guy a fifth-place Norris vote. Give me a break. Yeah, like, I would love to know what they were watching. Actually, the truth, like, you know damn well they just weren't watching, but still. No, they weren't watching at all, but, um, you know, like, it's – and, and, you know, I sound mad and I, I, I'm not, it's not the, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. It's just like, it blows my mind that people can just off. Like you get a vote. You think you would take at least like 30 minutes to sit down and just check out what you're voting for. You would hope, you know, and like it, it, people like Dom that get argued that they're, they don't know what they're talking about. Meanwhile, you know, damn well, people like him put way more thought into it than the guy who put Doughty fifth. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, it's like, and he literally did like a thousand, couple thousand uh, word write up, and then people were like, "Oh, you're just trying to sell your product." It's like Dom doesn't get commission if more people subscribe to read why he had the top five people. It's like, and it's like, oh yeah, views must be low. It's like I don't think a paywall cares about views, dude. Like, you know, like that's not how paywalls work. Yeah, exactly. And like Dom does have an incentive for people to read the Athletic, but like. He also probably just wants to explain himself because I would too if I was Dom. Yeah, his incentive is not the um, gap that it takes to leave a bunch of people off his ballot just because he goes, ha screw them. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's not going to sell out for that. No, not at all. Um, I don't even know who won. Who won the Jack Adams this year? That was announced a couple weeks ago. That was announced a while ago now. Yeah, Bruce Cassidy won for Boston. Which is fair. I think that's a fair enough one, yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you just got to give it to the coach who coached the best team in the league. Uh, you know, I think that's uh, – Yeah, they, they did that with Cooper last year too, right? Yep, and, I, you know, I think that's, you know, fair enough with him too. Um, John, I believe John Tortorella got second, which, again, is fair. I was shocked that Tortorella didn't win, actually. Um, but, you know – Me too. Aline Vigneault got to third as well, which – uh, that was a, that was a case of a team definitely expected to be not amazing, and then Philly went on a heater and you know looked pretty good. Yeah, that's a we didn't expect you to be this good. So well, yeah. so is Tortorella. So congrats. Yeah. On, yeah, but I mean Tortorella at least like coached through a ton of injuries and stuff like that too. Like they lost half their team for most of the year. Yeah, and a team with no talent to begin with. Yeah, exactly. So that that one is definitely I, I I'm fine with. I would have been okay if he won that actually too, but. Um, you know, uh, yeah, and I think that's pretty much it for the big awards. Uh, yeah, I'm, honestly, this is the best group of winners overall, I think, that I've seen in recent years, excluding Dreisaitl, of course. But, yeah, it looks like the awards are voting is slowly getting better. Yeah, like in the Norris, there was nothing stupid. Or sorry, in the uh, the Vesna, there was nothing stupid. In the Norris, like 
yeah, Carlson, uh, probably, I wouldn't have put Carlson second on my ballot, but it's like, if you want to go butt points, he's at least there. But I thought like, you know, even just names like Shea Theodore being sixth in Norris voting is uh, impressive enough, right? Like, yeah, it's good to see names like that starting to sneak on, on the list. Yeah. So um, that is all I have to say about the awards. Do you have anything else on them? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, we are going to go to the free agent tracker then, and uh, we're pretty much just going to go through. I'll, I'll give you a name. You know, you can give me um, if you would or wouldn't sign, or you know, what kind of deal you think they should get uh, in free agency, and you know, where what team we want to see them on. You know, where's a reasonable enough fit? Uh, you know, we'll try and change it up for different teams as well. Um, also, news today came out that Dustin Bufflin uh, probably won't be returning for next year either. So I'd have to imagine he's done playing hockey, right? You would have to think, what is he, like 35 already? 35, so he'll be 36 or 30, when does he turn? In March. So he'll almost be 37 if he did play in the next time. And again, he won't have played for two and a half years. Yeah, like as good as Dustin Bufflin was, you're not dying to sign 37-year-old Dustin Bufflin who hasn't played two and a half years. Yeah, I think that's probably the writing on the wall for him. So, you know, he had a great career and, you know, all credit to him if he just didn't want to play, but... Uh, let's start with the biggest free agent on the market, obviously, Alex Petrangelo. I'm just going on cap friendly, going down uh, cap by cap hit. So uh, I'll skip some of the bad ones because there's some funny cap hits here. But Alex Petrangelo, uh, talks between him and St. Louis have not been going well. All reports go that St. Louis is sitting on a firm $7.7 million per year and don't want to give him any signing bonus. That's, you know, St. Louis usually doesn't give any signing bonus. So that's not super shocking, but. Uh, you know, like, uh, what are your opinions on where you want to see him go? So a lot of people in my shoes think the obvious answer is Toronto. But uh, I'm looking at the evolving wild contract projections along with this Dallas sheet or the cap-friendly sheet that shows the free agents. They have them projected for an eight-year, $9 million contract, and I don't think any team is crazy for wanting to stay away from that. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I was talking about it with a bunch of people, and it's just like, I get that Petrangelo would help you right now, but at eight and a half for even six years, you are, like, risking it big time, you know? like, Yeah, like, very big time. The Leafs are at a point where, like, so your team quality compared to, like, Stanley Cup odds is nonlinear, right? Like, once you reach a certain team quality, adding a player who's worth two wins is way more valuable than like an 80 point team doing it. And like the Leafs are at the point where adding Petrangelo would dramatically help their cup odds next year. But yeah. like, I don't, I really don't know if that's worth the long-term risk well, for, for St. Louis. Yeah. Well, and that's for a team like Toronto, especially it's like, so you already signed the Tavares contract. I think we both agree that, you know, that's obviously not going to look amazing. You're not going to be getting excess value from that contract in three to four years. Like you're just hoping that you're not getting too much negative value from it either. Right. Um, now Dom did put out an article today on why he thinks Petrangelo might be able to actually perform over an eight year contract or at least well enough. Um, so, you know, obviously if you put that down to say six years or whatever uh, you know, it looks even better. Um, that being said, like, I think for Toronto, you're still at the, you're, you know, you're at a crossroads where it's like, again, if you sign him now, you better be winning in the next three years because you were closing the window. You know, like I've seen, we've seen with teams like Pittsburgh and even Washington, where if you have two or three elite players that are the nucleus of your team, uh, you're going to be good for over a decade or, you know, not always, but you can very easily be good for over a decade. If you suddenly have 8 million to Petrangelo or eight plus to Petrangelo and, what is it, 11 to Tavares, almost 20 million between two players who are going to be in their mid to late 30s, that window might be uh, shutting a little sooner than you think. Yeah, unless you can draft amazingly or these two guys age way better than the average 30-year-olds, that gets really dicey really fast. Yeah, and sure, maybe you know, maybe they will, but uh, at the same time, like, uh, I, I don't know, like, I... I understand why you want to do it, but at the same time, there's got to be a little bit of concern there too. Um, you know, just in terms of like, if we don't win right now and even fitting him into the cap right now, it's not impossible by any means, but it's not a cakewalk either for the next couple of years. So, you know, you, you got to think through it. 
yeah, people seem really excited to trade Kerfoot and Janssen, but like at some point you do need forward depth too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, um, I saw a tweet. I think it was uh, totally offside today. Tweet in. There was one thing. It was a thread going around about like tweet the take that'll make the people most angriest or whatever. And I believe his was pretty much like you can't. Uh, hold on. Let me let me bring it up. Um, it was the stars and scrubs model doesn't work for hockey. So pretty much you can't have five stars just absolutely dragging around a bunch of bums like you might be able to have in the NBA. Yeah, which is reasonable, right? Like the uh, the Penguins only started to become legitimate cup threats again when they had that good third line. Yep, like you don't need to go and ditch a ton of money out on the character guys or whatever, but I think there is something to be said that like you need to have legitimate talented players in your bottom six and, you know, maybe you'll be able to find those on ELCs or just cheap guys or whatever, but sometimes you might have to spend a million or two more than you kind of want on a third line player just to be, you know, obviously maybe not Phil Kessel, but something like that, you know, like a Carl Haglin on your third line. Yeah, exactly. And Johnson and Kerfoot are like that Haglin quality players who are just like good, but not amazing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I think if, you know, Toronto is a reasonable enough fit, I would be a little concerned. Vegas, I saw some people throwing around too. There seems all right. Where, where does Toronto get the money? Where the hell does Vegas get the money? I would assume it's moving flurry, right? Yes. Like, you move flurry, be. there's seven mil. You sign Lent. So, right now, they have a projected five mil in cap space. Let's say the deal with Leonard is five mil, right? So, you have zero in cap space. You move Flurry, there's seven million. Are you, you moving like Statsny then too? You probably have to. Maybe you know Reeves took a pay cut. You probably have to move someone like Statsny, right? Like they're kind of like Toronto, in which where they have like a lot of money dedicated to contracts you either don't want to move or can't move. Yeah. So it's not the easiest thing to do to just like that. Alex Martinez deal looks a lot worse now with four million. Like if you could get. If you could get rid of him, there's your money for him right there because you have um, seven mil from Flurry, four mil from Martinez. That gives you uh, eleven million to work with. If you sign Petrangelo for like say eight and a half, maybe you still have a couple million to go fix your, you know, get a couple bottom, a bottom pair guy and a bottom couple bottom forwards as well. Yeah, you'd have to take a lot of moving. Like it would take. It would be more difficult for Vegas to sign him than Toronto by a considerable margin because Absolutely. Toronto's trading desirable players. Well, and Toronto's already moved the players that you know to get cap space. Like they've already yeah. moved out the cap and that they would have to move to get this cap space. Like yeah, they're projected to have six mil at least in space. Yeah, like right. Yeah, right now they have six point one million dollars in space. So you move Janssen, and there's another. 3.4 million you're there's your excess space right there you know like yeah because i don't have any big contracts up either it's no. also too bad for st louis that it looks like petrangelo's walking which like we said i think it's a perfectly justifiable stance for them to be like we don't want to give him an eight-year contract at eight and a half or nine mil the problem is they gave his money is who they gave his money to like, they just gave it to Justin Falk. Yeah, they gave $6.5 million to Justin Falk for, like, eight years, six years, whatever the hell it was. It's like, yeah, that's not a good use. Yeah, like, I'd rather give Petrangelo 10. Like, I'd rather overpay Petrangelo by a million or two than just have that Falk contract on my books. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah, that's, that is that is a very fair point. Um, the only other team I could say is what if, like, do you see a fit anywhere in Colorado? Like, they have, they have space. space, correct? Yeah, they have the ton of space. Like they have uh, twenty-two million dollars right now. Uh, they need to sign Natushkin, Burakovsky, Nemesnikov, Tyson Yo. So, but like they'll probably have fifteen million or so. Uh, the thing is, Landeskog's up next summer. McKinnon's up in three years. Like he has three more years left. So you got to be a little. And Kadri's up in three summers as well. So he's got two more years left. So you got to be a little cautious going forward as well. Oh, and yeah, McCarr's number two. But they're, like, going into next year, what do you think they'll be, like, the second odds-on cup favorites? Third, probably, actually. They'll be behind, what, Vegas and Tampa. And maybe Boston I could see, too. 
Maybe Boston too. Yeah, but say you're the so they're the the, the third or the they're fourth. Top, they're top five, league. I think. Right. So I could see them taking the swing. Yeah, I, I would like it if they tried it. Yeah, I mean, and I I still think that they really should be going after someone like Taylor Hall, especially if you can get him on a bit of a discounted price due to the year he's had, or like even like I think Mike Hoffman would fit really well on that team, or like uh, Evgeny Dadanov too, like someone like that where it's like you get a nice legitimate second line winger. Um, to play second right? So you're not getting run over without the McKinnon line on the ice. Yeah, because even this year, like the Kadri one was a big help, but their forwards are Ranton and McKinnon, Landeskog, Kadri, and Nintushkin was amazing, but Jonas Donskoy had a disastrous year in terms of advanced stats. And, you know, Yost and Comfort, they were all right, but like they need, you need someone else to push them down a spot yet too, maybe even two players. But so I, I kind of wonder if they use their money and go for a player like that or try and shore up the goaltending because – I don't hate Grubauer and Frankuz. I don't think either of them are studs, but just how often they get hurt or how unreliable they can be. That's a bit of a weakness as well. Yeah, I, th- I, I think the forward does make more sense. Like, I completely agree with that going after Hall. Problem with goalies, I don't really know. Like, if they sign Leonard and then dump Frankuz, maybe that'd be nice. Like, that would be a definite win for them, but. Yeah, or like get Markstrom to a reasonable deal or something for like three years or whatever, like six and a half by three, seven by three. But I don't, I don't know if Markstrom only wants three mil, right? So or three years. Yeah, like I, I think Markstrom's going to cash out. I would assume so, you know, because you know he might just if if it was only a seven by three, he would probably just stay in Vancouver. But um, the next the player on the list is a goalie, but it's not actually Markstrom. Braden Holtby. I think we're both in the. Um, uh, agreement that we would not pay Holtby anywhere near what his cap hit is right now. Um, I think someone will probably pay him some amount of money, but how much, I'm not sure. Yeah, he's a weird one because, like, we see with Carey Price every year, like, goalies can clearly rest on reputation for a really long time. So, like, maybe somebody's going to break the bank for Holtby, but I don't really see a huge market for him. No, I mean, like, there's so many goalies available this year. I think a, a Calgary would be a kind of interesting landing spot for him if they let go of Talbot. And you go yeah, uh, t- tandem of Riddich Holpe. And, like, if he's cheap, I do love taking a shot on him. Yes, absolutely. I just wouldn't be giving him, like, a 5x5 five five or anything like that. No, like, if you can get him on a one-year show-me deal, I think he's, like, the perfect candidate to be like, let's see if he's got anything left in the tank. If he does, great we might've just signed an elite goalie for next to nothing. If not, you just walk away. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, a team like Calgary where it's like, or even Edmonton to a degree where it's like, if you have a a tandem there that you can work with, with Koskinen or Riddich, like, I think that would be a good fit for him. So, you know, who knows who becomes the number one guy throughout the year, but they'll both battle for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Taylor Hall. uh, If he wants money, he might have to go to a team that, you know, isn't great. Um, but has a bunch of cap space. Uh, you know, I already said Colorado would be my uh, look for them. They have, you know, $22 million in cap space right now, and they're not going to blow it all, I don't think, this year. But uh, that could be an interesting spot. Uh, if they offered him a ton of money, do you see a fit with some, a team, say, like the Buffalo Sabres? I mean, they have no forwards under contract. So I could see how a hockey player could talk themselves into the Sabres being up and coming with Eichel, Dallin. Yeah, I mean, um, like, and if you get promised to play on Eichel's wing, I mean, what better fit than that, right? Like, Yeah, and if you're Taylor Hall, you have to imagine you see yourself as an all-star quality player still. So, like, you could think about how they might be a playoff threat with you. Yeah, I mean, like, Eichel, Skinner, Hall, Eric Stahl, um, Reinhardt, Olofsson, Dominic Cahoon. That's not like the worst forward group. D- Dylan Cozens is hopefully in there. I know people said maybe Casey Middlestad as well. I'm not going to be sold on that one. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen at, at all. That's for sure. No, they have the space in a year where very few other people do. And as incompetent as the Sabres are, there are worse bets to make in hockey than attaching yourself to what? Like the third most valuable player in the league? Yeah, like, so... Maybe not quite that high, but he's like at worst five or six. Yeah, I think there's metrics to show that for sure. Um, you know, um, 
another team where again I don't think they're gonna they're not gonna have the cap space because they have to re-sign their guys, but like the Islanders would have been a reasonable enough fit. You know, they were in on Panarin last year, um, in on Hall maybe this year. Like I, I don't think they will be just because like they have to sell uh, sign Matt Barzell. Yeah, they or, have no they they don't have enough room to fit Matt Barzell's projected contract. No, let alone Pulak and Taves, you know, again, which I was told are only minimal contracts on Twitter, but I I don't know about that. Um, I'm just trying to look at teams that, like, might have space to kind of work and do something. Maybe Nashville? Yeah, they could do worse than going to Nashville. They have eight mil in space, and, you know, next year they're going to have six and a half coming off the books in Rene and Soros. Uh it sounds like they might walk away from Granlin, Craig Smith, and probably Colin Blackwell. Uh, you know, the two of those names are kind of big, but uh, so, you know, if you get Hall and replace one of them, maybe at, you know, seven and a half, eight ish kind of area, I, I don't think that's the worst fit for them. This is such a terrible year to be a free agent. Oh, it really is. Like, especially just like, you know, if Nashville's one of those internal cap teams, maybe they just don't spend five of that 8 million. So that takes them out of the Taylor Hall sweepstakes. Yeah, and I would absolutely not be surprised if they were one of those teams. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Let's keep going. Corey Crawford, uh, I think Chicago is the reasonable spot to go back here to. He's, again, like, I, I don't I don't know how I feel about Corey Crawford. I wouldn't be giving him more than a one-year deal, that's for sure. No, he's got a pretty aggressive injury history for, what, like a 35-year-old? 35, yeah. Yeah, like, I think Chicago makes a lot of sense. I don't think Chicago is going to be good next year, so it kind of makes sense just running back with them. With um, was it Colin D'Elia that they have in net as well? Like just go those yeah. two. Like NHL players tend to love to sign where they are, so like if we use that as our prior, you have to assume that Corey Crawford probably likes Chicago. So assuming he's not like I need to get another Stanley Cup or else mentality, that would make some sense. He still yeah. seems like a good goalie. He's all right. Like, he wasn't bad this year. Um. What do you think Mikhail Granlin gets on the open market? Oh, that's a good question. Evolving Hockey has his most likely deal at seven years, $6.25 million, and I just do not know what team would give him that, especially this year. I, for the life of me, would love to bet the under on that if it was possible. Yeah. Like, I think... Penalties or something? Like, where would that number even come from? time on ice maybe you know i know that's a huge uh one in their prediction now to be fair like it's the most likely is 20 percent on a seven-year term and then four-year terms 19 three years 16 five years 18 so if you go to the three four five you get five five point seven six so it, let's go with the four year four years at five point five million dollars or so i still don't think he gets that much but that seems more reasonable at least yeah, I could see. He kind of does seem like that middling player that could get like a four-year, $5 million contract. That if one I could a, ask. Yeah, if it was a normal year, I guess, he kind of would be the one where it's like you're watching free agent frenzy and someone just hands him a five-by-six. You go, ooh, that's not going to look good soon. Yeah, I was just going to say, it also is one of those deals that you sign the middling player to like five or $6 million for just a little too long, and it just looks miserable from day one. Yeah, I wonder if like New Jersey would be a fit for him. Yeah, I don't really love the idea of – assuming he needs term, I don't love New Jersey as a fit. But, like, if he's willing to take a one- or two-year deal, New Jersey's one of the teams that could pay him, like, $5 million, and it doesn't look insane. Yeah, Boston's another one if he would cut the term down, maybe. I think he would fit well on Boston. It would just depend on the price tag, you know, because they have their own stuff to figure out. Boston was yeah. another name for the Petrangelo sweepstakes where – yeah, maybe, like, I guess. I could see it. They, could they, have, do it. Four, they have $14.4 million in cap space right now, and Chara, Grizzlick, and DeBrusque are the three big guys they got to sign. And Krug, but I don't think they're signing Krug at this point, especially now if they re-sign Petrangelo. Yeah, Boston has more space than I thought. They could be a good fit for Petrangelo too, but them with Granlin is all right. Boston, like, they have a great forward core, but more good forwards never hurts. Yeah, and Granlin kind of seems like the type of player would fit right into Boston, right? Like, yeah, like he, I could see that as a fit. He might, he's probably too expensive for them. Yeah, but probably, I, but you never know. 
he's like an average-ish forward, which, yeah, Boston, they always seem to – Boston loves like the Johansson trade a couple of years ago. Uh, what about Justin Schultz? I think this is clearly a guy who's going to take a pay cut from the five and a half that he was on for this contract. Um, well, 100%. His projected one from Evolving Hockey is the most likely is three years at $3.9 million, which I could probably see, especially in a normal year. Again, maybe this year it's bumped down a little bit. Where do you think he fits in? I actually think he fits really well in Pittsburgh, but you have to assume that's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. They all, all signs kind of point to them walking away. Yeah, like – Fit-wise, you could imagine, like, the Leafs talking themselves into a right-handed puck mover, but, like, I don't love the contract for them. I don't know. Schultz is a weird one. Yeah, I was going to say... He's been very good and very not so good at the same time recently. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he has been very, very up and down. Do you, like, would a fit with, like, eh, I don't know, maybe Washington? Like, they have – so, I mean, they kind of need left-hand D more than right-hand D, I guess, because they got Carlson and Orlov on the right side, but and then Nick Jensen under contract for three more years. And just with how tight they're going to be, I would assume that they need Jensen to kind of play. But Yeah, I don't think Washington would be a great fit. Try to think of teams for a right-handed puck-moving defenseman who's just, like, average-ish. Montreal would have been a good fit before they went out and got someone like Joel Edmondson. Yeah, if you could have got him cheap on your third pair there. Like two and a half mil or something like that. Play Weber, Petrie, Schultz, and then on the left side play uh, Kulak, Mete, Chariot, and then Romanov fits in somewhere somewhere there as well. You know, you'd scratch one of Chariot or Kulak, I guess. Yeah, have Schultz, man, like the second power play unit for you too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like maybe that would be a fit, but I don't think it is anymore. Colorado might also be all right for him. Yeah, that's true. If they need a you know depth guy as well, um, it depends on what happens with Chris Tanev, I guess. But maybe Edmonton. Is Chris Tanev talking about going to Edmonton? Mm, Chris Tanev's in Edmonton, but it just depends if he resigns. You mean Vancouver? I do mean Vancouver. Yes, uh, <laughs> Vancouver is the the fit. I guess is what I meant to say. I'm very happy I was on the Oilers cap friendly as you said that because I was like wait a goddamn second did I miss something huge no uh Vancouver is who I mean because right now their only right-handed defenseman under contract is Tyler Myers yeah and like if Justin Schultz wants to be a top pairing defenseman like he was for a short little while in Pittsburgh that would work well because he would be their best player on the right side yeah I mean it's him and Troy Stetcher I think you know and neither of them would get the Tyler Meyer minutes but that's a different argument all in itself I don't know how much money you could get out of the Canucks, but like fit wise, they definitely work. Yeah, I mean, like, and maybe, you know, he's made a ton of money as it is. Like, that last contract paid him five and a half mil for two or three years, right? So I can't imagine he's dying for cash, but like, obviously, he's not going to take a stupid discounted deal. But if you got in the neighborhood of two and a half, three mil for a couple of years, you know, maybe that's not the, bet, the worst bet to take. Yeah, if you could sign him to like three by three, I like that. That would be like, one of the few justifiable deals Jim Benning would sign on open day of free agency. Yep. Um, here's a player, uh, another player that's uh, Tyson Berry. Um, his projected in evolving hockey, seven years, $7 million. Uh, <laughs> and there is like, you know, how I said the last time, like the percentages were, you know, very close. This one's 34%. And then eight, eight year term is 21%. And five year term is 19 like it is uh, under 10% for anything under four years. So uh, it looks like, you know, he's going to be looking for it, whether a team gives it to him. I, I, I don't know. Like, so here's what I'm wondering. Tyson Berry did not fit in Toronto at all. Then. So given that that is true, everybody knows that is true well, since last year happened. Where the hell does he fit then? Yeah, like, and I mean, like, I get there's arguments to be made that, like, he fit enough after Keefe took over, but, like, he wasn't such a good fit where you need to pay him $5 million, $6 million, $7 million for that amount of term as well, you know? And, like, so we were just talking about Justin Schultz, and they're kind of similar players in terms of, like, 
they're both right-handed defensemen who are offensive, more offensive mind and can move the puck, right? Yep. The difference between them over the past three years has not been very big. Like Tyson Berry has provided 11.6 goals, uh, 11.6 goals above replacement. Justin Schultz has provided 9.1. I'm not necessarily saying Justin Schultz is the better player, but if you gave me the option of Justin Schultz at 3x3 three three or Tyson Berry at 7x7, seven seven, or even like five years at six and a half mil, I'm probably taking Justin Schultz at this point. Yeah, like if he comes cheaper, I think I prefer Schultz too. Like cheaper and half the half the price, half the term, I would think so. Like I just I like I don't know what team is giving lining up to give Tyson Barry seven by seven this year. No, like Barry lit like Taylor Hall was had his worst year of his career by like or at least of his recent career by a hundred miles when he was going to be a marquee free agent and Tyson Berry still managed to light way more money on fire than anyone else this year. Yeah. And like, like the only thing, like the only thing I could see of even just like a team fit that would make sense is like, if for whatever reason, I don't think this will happen, but for if whatever reason LA suddenly thinks they're way closer to being finished their rebuild than they actually are. And they give them that kind of contract to play second pair minutes on the right side. But yeah. even that, they have, like, Sean Walker and Matt Roy, which, again, are two players we don't mind at all. Yeah, so, like, like who's a team that needs, like, a third-pairing right D and a power play specialist? That's kind of what, like, L.A. almost, right? Like, I mean, they have Doughty on on power play one. I don't know how, if he's a specialist, but, like, like Florida? Does that mean? Yeah, I assume Ekblad plays their top – or Yandel, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, and there's been talk that they want to move, but, like, I don't see Florida dishing out big cash for that. No, like, the problem is what Barry is is probably not what he's going to be paid like, which means I don't think he fits anywhere. No, and, like, I just don't see, like, just how disastrous his season was. I, I could see him being a guy who takes a one- or two-year deal, as unlikely as the model says it is, just because of the circumstances, because of how bad he played last year or how bad he was last year and just, like, uh just because of the, you know, the COVID stuff, obviously, as well. Yeah. Like, if you're the Islanders, do you even offer him, like, one year, three and a half million to be your power play quarterback? You can't fit under the cap. Yeah, they don't have this. Yeah, like. Yeah, like, I think that would be a reasonable enough. But even then, like, they have, like, Noah Dobson coming in. Like, I would assume he's a guy you look to maybe be a power play guy down the road, right? Like, I'd rather keep Dobson, Pulak, and. I guess boy to Mayfield or whatever. Like I'd, I'd just rather keep that at the cheap price tag that it is than go and give Barry money. Yeah. Cause I'm trying to look at like reasonably competitive teams where a power play specialist could actually add a decent chunk of value. But the problem is most good teams have at least one really good offensive defenseman anyways. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. He might get squeezed Edmonton. out of the market here. It'll be interesting to see. Would Edmonton work? I know they have a lot of defensive prospects, but if you don't feel they're ready. Maybe, if it's at the right price tag. Yeah, but again, I don't think the price will be right. But in Yeah, theory. I mean, yeah, you never know. They got 11 mil right now. Um, they've been talking about trading a defenseman, though, already. So it's like, well, I don't know if you trade a defenseman to get rid of or to make room for a prospect just to sign Tyson Barry, but – that would work enough, I think, just in terms of, like, the right side right now is Adam Larson, Chris Russell, and Ethan Bear. Yeah, like, they're they're just an all-right team that, like, he would actually be their power play guy, is what I was thinking. Yeah, but they have Bouchard eventually, you know, Broberg, he's left, but still, like, you have guys that you want to hopefully make room for. Yeah, like, I, I don't know if I've ever, myself, and seen, like, hockey perception sour on a player as quickly as Tyson Barry this year. Yeah. Uh, Miko Koivu, uh, signs point to him not coming back to the wild. Do you think he goes anywhere? If he does, where would you like to see him play? See him Toronto's fourth line center, baby. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know. I, I have no idea how to gauge Miko Koivu in terms of like what he would or would want, wouldn't want to do. Um, I don't He's know. what Minnesota's whole life, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like he... I don't like. I don't know. I I feel like that's a tough one. Um, you know, he's still a useful player. He's good defensively. Shocker, he plays for Minnesota. 
But uh, like, I don't know, he definitely would, it would be a guy you signed for one year and then whatever cap hit, right? Yeah, like literally any competitive or even non-competitive because you can trade him at the deadline. Team, you, I would hear a great argument that you should sign him to be the, your fourth-line center, assuming he comes in cheap. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tory Krug. This is a tough one too. I feel he's going to get overpaid. I feel like you know, if if I was the GM of a team, I'm definitely not as high on Krug as some people are. But I feel like he will get paid somewhere. Yeah, Krug is at least like what Tyson Berry was supposed to be. Yeah, like he's not bad by any means. I just don't like. I maybe maybe with COVID, his cap it'll be reasonable. People are saying he should get like he might get eight million dollars on the open market, and I just would not be paying him that for a long term. Yeah, that would be nuts. Although he does have the points to command a very big contract. Like the Twins have him at five years, 7.3 mil is his most likely contract by a mile. And like at five years, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, if you could keep the term down, there are plenty of teams where it makes sense to sign him to that or presumably slightly less because of the free agent market this year. I think Dallas makes sense. I could see that working out pretty well. I know they they have Thomas Harley in the minors. Um, our our uh, friend's cousin Joel Hanley's up there right now, but he's twenty nine. Sure. I, I don't see him being a staple on the blue line, but uh, you know they have right now they have projected fifteen point five million dollars in cap space. Uh, Hudobin's a free agent. Sakara's a free agent. Perry's a free agent. Faxa, Hints, Yanmark, and Gurianov are free agents. So. There's a couple guys that'll cost some money, but I'm sure they can move around or let a couple guys go if they needed to to make room for them. Yeah, that would fit. That would fit reasonably well. We'll, we'll wrap it up with a couple quick fire ones. Uh, Mike Hoffman. Is there anywhere in particular you'd like to see him go? Uh, that's a good question. If Pittsburgh's that hell bent on dumping their forwards. Presume, like I could see them bringing in Hoffman if they could find some space. I like him there. Yeah, it's not a bad one. Uh, I said it earlier. I think like Colorado or something like that. Montreal. I think there's enough of a fit where they need scoring talent bad. Um, Montreal would be a very good fit for him. Yeah. Um. Uh, that that brings us to the top ten, I guess, or top eleven. We'll cut it off there. We might go through a couple of the other ones as free agency draws closer. If there's not enough news, because there's still a couple names that are intriguing in there at least, but. Uh, I'll let Chase get out of here because uh, I know he needs to get going. Uh, Chase, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I don't either. Uh, you can find mine and Chase's work at lastwordinhockey.com. You can find my other stuff on the Avalanche at milehighhockey.com. Uh, you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. My Twitter's NHL Sends and stuff. Chase is CMHockey66. Thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you all next week.